Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Have you ever had one of those times when you just wanted to be able to give yourself a pause in a moment of extreme frustration so that you could navigate that moment with more ease and maybe even some less stress? Wouldn't it be nice to have a skill set that equips you to be in those moments with a whole different presence, allowing you to be mindful, in control, and able to take charge of your responses? Well, with us today to talk about a scientifically researched method that can equip us with such a skill set is Lori Lindgren. Lori is a qualified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher who is certified in trauma-informed yoga, yoga therapeutics, yoga for healthy aging, Piedmont Advanced Practices, and Dharma for the Youth. Lori is currently splitting time on Oahu, Hawaii, which is my hometown, and Northern California's Bay Area, and provides classes, workshops, retreats, and private sessions. She works with individuals and communities to support well-being in body, in mind, and in heart. Lori, it's so nice to have you with us today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Graham, and I'm happy to be here. That's thank so you. great. Well, thank you. And I know we will be getting into more detail. And an actual exercise, guys, as you're listening. So get ready for this. We're going to have an actual exercise within the course of today's show around the mind-body whole stress reduction piece. But as we start out, Lori, give us just kind of a two-minute drill description of MBSR. Yes, thank you. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is this coming together of the practices of meditation and mindfulness and the movements that work well with these practices and are also solid standalone movements. It's basically yoga slowed down and, and really paying attention to how the body feels pausing between movements. So it's typical yoga done slower and with mindfulness. <laughs> and then the other piece that is essential in this mindfulness-based stress reduction definition is the, the group connectivity and communication, conversation, and, and that support of the group. Strength is in community. So eight weeks of pretty strong commitment to be moving through these practices as a group led by a qualified, certified teacher. And just to be clear, that process of becoming a teacher takes a good long time. So it can take up to eight years, 10 years. And so you're participating in this process of experimenting with meditation practices mm -hmm. and then talking about them as a group. And so the group has agreed on some guidelines where there's really clear confidentiality. And that's a big one for me just because they step into this group and they open up and share just what's going on. And then the practices we do, it, it's like a buffet. So think of like a buffet of meditation practices um, that you can sample and, so and you good. can try it on and you can, you know, maybe you love it, maybe you don't and express how you feel and, and also explore how you feel. So a lot of what goes on is not all that normal in today's world. No, we and, don't stop, uh, do we? we no. We, we don't stop very much. We don't oftentimes stop and talk with others on top of that. Yeah. And have that open honesty, that opportunity to be so connected and at ease with each other. Um, 
and kind of see things from a different perspective. So really good. That's kind of a good, nice little 10,000 foot view right there, giving, <laughs> giving us a start to kind of come in here. We're going to get down into a little bit more of the nitty gritty in a bit, tapping into all the things you shared right there. Tell me though, where did this originate? So it originated in uh, the basement of the University of Massachusetts Medical Center, just a kind of a common theme that a gentleman named John Kabat-Zinn was noticing mm -hmm. within that medical center was folks would come to the end of their treatment plan with whatever doctor they were seeing. And you know, no fault on the doctor, no fault on the system, but that patient just was not getting to a complete healing. And so he just had this idea from his own previous experience, you know, starting in the sixties, you know, exploring some meditation variations himself, whether it was Zen or Vipassana, he took his experience and invited people to try this eight weeks process which then became what we call today mindfulness-based stress reduction. So cool. the only available room was in the basement of the medical center, which was like an extra space. So every once in a while, doctors would come in, you know, thinking they had the room for a meeting and they'd find all these people on the floor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they'd be like, what's going on? But that was his pilot study. That, that was, was. just developing all of this. Yeah. And once people started to express the outcomes, the feelings, the pain reduction, then I think, you know, right from the start, there was this intention of studying and collecting the data. And so, you know, there have been different variations of this data collection throughout from, from the very start, because there's that, you know, what people experience, what they express. And then there's yeah. like, how do we quantify that? How do we capture that? Um, Really good. As 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 it started as it started in the basement of a university center, are there some institutions and or maybe even universities now that are really involved in this and and using it and, and, and kind of teaching some things for folks interested? Yes. I just off the top of my head, I know it's going on at the University of Minnesota in sort of a low scale. I also know there's some universities in Vancouver, there's a mindfulness center in Canada. There's also UCSF is doing some work at the okay. Osher Center too. Oh, good. There's University of Southern California is also doing some great Fantastic. work on MBSR. So it's really blossoming in universities. In our pre-talk too, you were talking about Brown being part of kind of set of things with this MBSR. Yes. So Brown has now taken over. It, it started at University of Massachusetts and then was moved to Brown University just within the past few years about three years ago. And now Brown has embraced and the practices have been evolving in many ways. I'm thinking of one in particular in the mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting. So oh. MBCP is happening. One of my colleagues in Minnesota is doing a great job with that. And within the midwife, she's at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester doing some that great work That is very there. good. Scare. That's very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talk, you're talking about this type of instruction and this training. Let, let's, let's go from that 10,000 foot view and kind of get into okay. the, into the weeds a little bit. You're talking about the instruction is around increasing mindfulness and it's actually an experiential process, isn't it? Actually teaching folks to train their attention, to achieve really a mental state of calm, concentration and positive emotions. And this is developed through meditation and yeah. also movement, as well as some home practices we're going to talk about a little bit later. But 
this meditation and movement. Explain for us the, the use of meditation, use in this process, as well as how you incorporate movement into teaching mindfulness, would you? Sure. So using the meditation, it can start so simply. In fact, the first class, we start with an eating meditation. And so throughout the eight weeks, there are a few um, kind of common everyday actions that can be used as meditation. So it's it's a great way to take, kind of take the mystic, you know, the unattainable, the out of reach, just off the table, you know, yeah. it's, it's right there. So it can be practiced eating or walking, but then going a little deeper, even just feeling the breath occur can be uh, useful for folks who are brand new at meditation or have been practicing in different ways. And it's, it's nice to mention that we don't try to control the breath. We don't do anything different with the breath, but it's the noticing yeah. of the breath that is helpful for this, you know, what is called an anchor. You can develop like your center of focus or your, the place where your attention returns to and the breath if one chooses to use it, and there are many things that one can choose as an anchor, but the breath is constantly happening. So it's a handy one. So it's, it's a few things. It's, it's a handy way to calm the body, but it's also a handy way to develop our attention and strengthen that muscle. Yes. Uh, so a number of things in there are kind of really cool. One is there's no performance based expectation around this, is there? It's just, I, I'm going to be present. And, you know, therapy allows the unconscious to be made conscious. So we make the unconscious conscious and mm -hmm. it's becoming more aware of what we do, you know, our interactions and our thoughts, et cetera, so that we can be in that moment differently and choose what we want to do. And you're saying the very same thing here. It's training our attention to be mindful just in the moment, not to alter anything, not to have to do anything, but just be aware of it and kind of trusting that process of awareness. Yes. Yes. And to be alert to what is going on in the moment. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I like about that too, is you're inferring that without having to do anything performance-based, just the awareness alone can help somebody maybe begin to not just address what's stressful, but maybe even kind of choose what they want to do with it, maybe even decrease it in some way. So you're kind of trusting a process here that's kind of an inherent part of the awareness, isn't it? Yes. And you're naming something that I think is a real key throughout the process is accepting or acknowledging to make choices about yeah. what's going on. And that we were talking earlier about the movement. It can also be experienced in movement. So it's this very present and, you know, seeing clearly what's going on and making wise decisions or informed decisions about yeah. which I think much of the benefit of this practice comes from turning toward things that might be difficult or painful. And whether it's societally or a human thing, we tend to do the opposite. So yeah, it's, it's one of the things I've really appreciated and enjoyed about this, this entire practice and yeah. whether it's a movement or. <laughs> well, what I'm also appreciating is that you're holding up and, and, and I think maybe reminding us that the body is a great source of information. And, you know, we're all going like Mach 2 with our hair on fire in life and these manic defenses that we use and our busyness, et cetera. But you're talking about if we can remind ourselves that the body really is a great source of information, 
And if we get a chance to kind of just stop and do some of the things you're saying where we can explore maybe the emotion in that moment or what it feels like simply just to breathe or to hold, hold a pose or a position, then we get a chance to maybe notice the beginnings of some responses. And with that identification and detection, we can maybe choose what we want to do next yes. versus yes. in the past where we're just going, 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 and we're not paying attention to what that beginning might be looking like. I love that because we get to put a pin in autopilot, <laughs> like, you know, like just right. take a moment. And that just, you know, as you were speaking, I, I love that part of what you just said. And I love that opportunity that it's our choice. It's our invitation even to pause our, ourselves or our habit or our autopilot and to know where something lands in the body or even take a moment to feel where, where am I feeling that emotion or that that feeling might be the the very start of that response and we're kind of catching it and and being wise with it and being you know honoring it not pushing it away what you're triggering for me right now Lori, is i used to do some biofeedback and mm -hmm. so we got to use you know various ways to measure physiological responses mm -hmm. which really are based in the very things you're talking about and we're able to see the changes that literally are happening from the things you're talking about doing and what I was taught when I was going through it was that, you know, as a society, as we get busy as humans, we're taught to recognize pain, but not tension. So the idea that tension builds one to 10 and by the time I get to 10, I've got a headache. So I take a Tylenol, but I don't recognize it as it's building. And what you're saying is if we can build an awareness, we can catch these things earlier on, can't we? And we can intervene yes. early. So early detection, early intervention, and maybe even put a different ending on a very familiar beginning. Yes. And even steer it a different direction. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating though. I'm thinking of this, this last class, this, it just ended last week, this last eight weeks. And one of the participants who's a very body aware person was just really excited because she was noticing this pain that she was having. And then she noticed where it started while she was doing dishes one day. She was like, oh, it's the way I'm standing in this way, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, it's wonderful that she is a, a person who generates her own income by movement in the body. And she had used this, this classwork to dig a little deeper, you know, there are layers that we can go into. And I think even if we think we're, we're pretty solid on, on what goes on, there are still more layers. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. I would love maybe in another show, as, as our listeners know, and 
we, we do a, a clinician series where we go into kind of the, here's what happens behind the, you know, the curtain, if you will, and getting more specific. But I know you're saying that some of these practices include kind of standing and floor yoga. That's part of the movement, walking meditation, mountain meditation, awareness of breath, like you're talking about doing right there. And, and these are all ways that basically teach us to, and I like what you said earlier, basically strengthening that muscle for attention and, and being aware. But I'm also as I stated at the beginning of the show, that MBSR is a scientifically researched method. I mentioned biofeedback. That, that's just a way of being able to literally measure all the things that you're drawing attention to that are occurring. And I know that from the research, it's consistently demonstrated positive effects for those that are incorporating it into their lives. Psychological scientists have found that mindfulness influences two different stress pathways in our brain. It changes, it literally changes brain structures and activity in ranges associated with attention and also emotional regulation. That, that, that's phenomenal. Yes. If we can raise our attention and have that emotional muscle and that, and those reins to manage that emotional regulation, that's significant, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And, and like you're saying, there's just that, that regulating emotion and there's also the just the ability to build and maintain focus and that our brain structure yeah like i i still get excited because i feel like i'm i'm alive when the the thought right. that we couldn't change our brain structure to when right. we could change our brain structure yes. has happened so in our busy days we can become very myopic in our vision of mm. things and what you're talking about here with that attentional piece and the emotional regulation to tolerate what we're increasing in terms of our attention. It's almost like we get to, get to kind of open the aperture or get to open the blinders, if you will, of how we're doing life and to be in the, in the world in a very different way, very aware, much more conscious, much more intentional. And to give ourselves that ability, what a cool gift yeah. to give to ourselves and encouraging each other. Definitely. From the roots of what instigated this whole MBSR as a practice. It's kind of a story that John Kabat-Zinn tells about being in a meditation retreat, maybe Thailand, but he was talking about it was very cold. He was very uncomfortable. And I don't know if you've done a, a long-term, a day, you know, multi-day silent retreat. There are some agreements that you kind of commit to. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, he, you know, he was battling with the pain that he was experiencing and then knowing he had the option to move. Mm -hmm. But then one of the things that I appreciate about his story is that it was in that moment, he recognized so many people don't have that opportunity. Right. They're in that pain long-term. Mm -hmm. And I think it feels like that's one of those moments that this whole practice kind of is influenced by what he chose was to stay in it. But what he learned from it was that he could change that relationship, that story that he was relating to about the pain. And he yeah. was able to, you know, I think the word used was decouple the yes. emotion and that even that connectivity, that attachment to the pain. And, and from that gained balance and equanimity with it, the pain itself may not have changed much, yes. but his relationship to it I, did. I, I think that's huge. I think in life, you know, ideally we're not going to only be as good as those things around us are functioning in, in a way that's pleasing to us. More times than not, we're in life and it's fairly challenging. What you're saying here is that 
in those moments of challenge, I get to be in those moments, but decouple myself in terms of my own well-being. I might get to be the observer of, I might get to be, you know, involved in, but not necessarily so directly involved in, in a way that can be hurtful. So I, I think that's a beautiful way to put this. I'm curious, you know, as you're talking about kind of that aspect, what areas of improvement are you observing in the people's lives that are involved with your MBSR courses? Oh my gosh, so many. I was I was reading through some of the feedback. So at the end of the course, uh, participants have an opportunity to give feedback. And yeah. some of it is just, you know, we we dialogue in class quite a bit and, and check in quite a bit. But yeah, some of it's just very surprising. Like the one participant who is a grad student, um, and it just had a very busy life, but was noticing what she did not need to include in, in her daily routine and how free and, and full and joyous she felt, you know, just by releasing these, you know, non-essentials. Use the word uncoupling earlier, almost like uncoupling her from whatever she was carrying. Yeah. 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 Just massive amounts of stress, but there is a piece about communicating with others and hearing others experience and being connected in that way to have that reminder that I'm not the only one dealing with things like this, even though the things I'm dealing with are intense and extreme that I'm, I'm connected with others in this. I would imagine that's a nice part of your group too, that, that we refer to that oftentimes in our field as a universality, this idea that I'm I'm not in this, you know, in this universe alone with it, that there are others who some, you know, experience things differently. And and I and I know like you're saying, the cool part about this is that some of the benefits that people walk away with, you know, it's it's the general stress reduction, it's the improved self-care, it's you know, kind of loosening. And I, and I love this piece you said earlier, if I can notice things at the beginning, maybe I get to loosen my grip from some negative habits or some negative thinking that I didn't even know that I had, but now that I stop and notice, or maybe that if I can stop that early, maybe that even helps me lessen any anxiety or depression that I might be prone to because of that negativity. But just a, just a clear overall recognition of my attitude or my mood. What a great set of things to see as some great outcomes from this practice that you're talking about here. You reminded me of two things. Tell me. One is that one of the reflections of a participant said something like, you know, it was like life management, you know, it's just, it it doesn't necessarily have to take anything extra for us to deserve to gather together in such a way. (laughs) I I like that piece, just just the idea around, and I want to actually use it as a segue to kind of go into the mindfulness-based stress Mm -hmm. reduction and the, this therapeutic intervention, it involves, as we said at the beginning of the show, a, a weekly group class. Mm-hmm. and daily mindfulness exercises that one practices at home. This is an eight-week course. Yes. And it sounds like, you know, when you're coming into a group and everybody's agreeing with confidentiality and development of trust, that we can all benefit from this. We get to kind of lean into this. Give us just kind of a, a brief overview of that eight-week period, what they're committing to, what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. So the eight-week period, it starts with a, about a 90 minute orientation and everybody gets to meet each other. It's also a great opportunity for the individual to be like, is this what I thought it was? And do I want to do this? And this teacher, you know, does this group and teacher resonate with me? So that first get together is before the first week. It's, you know, and then the first week 
is when we get to practice, you know, the raisin meditation, or there's an eating meditation, <laughs> and then talk about the body scan and practice a little bit of the body scan. And that'll be their home practice for the next few weeks is this recording of a body scan. So their home practice is daily, ideally about six of the seven days each week. And then a person is welcome to do whatever is possible for them, you know, but it's ideal that they get to practice throughout their week because then they come together that next week and report back. That's when the juicy stuff starts happening That's right. and people, and they get real and, and they're honest, which is very appreciative. And they, you know, maybe I didn't like that body scan so much. Do you have a different one? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and it, it's great to hear people have them hear each other because they're also kind of co-experiencing and, and co-guiding this, right. this process. And so let's see, I am at a pace that I could take another hour to explain the eight weeks. So I'll go a little faster. The second and third week, it is really developing that strength within the group. We do one of our home practices, noticing positive experiences. And so these feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral get explored. And so the fourth, fifth, and sixth week are kind of on more difficult experiences and conversations. And then how do we respond? And are there times that we can do that pause and, you know, recognize where we are maybe doing a pattern or a reaction and that space to update it to a response or a reflection, Yeah, really see what is needed for ourselves and for that situation. And there's also a day-long retreat right there after week six, usually. It's an it's a all-day retreat where people show up and it's usually six, seven hours. And you know, we, we do check in verbally and then at the end we, we speak to each other. But between that, the participants are silent. So they get to release that, you know, whether you want to call it an obligation or a expression that verbalizing, they get to not talk <laughs> and also not feel that, you know, sometimes it's a little bit much and, and mm -hmm. that's a source of quite a bit of reflection for people who have not spent a day in silence, but with other people. And then week seven and eight, we're kind of checking on how do we take all that we've experienced and bring it forward into the practice we'll do for the rest of our lives. Or maybe it's just the practice we'll do for now, mm -hmm. knowing what practice feels like. And what do we want to take forward? So really good. People leave with resources. They leave with whatever amount of connectivity they would like. And they have kind of their own set of tools to continue to explore. And maybe they have a rhythm that they like. Uh, you know, maybe they've discovered a time of day or two times a day that they like to practice. And you know, there's the the movement, whether they like to do it before they meditate or, you know, it's it ends up being their own practice. Really good. You know what you're you're talking about? There are practices in this, like we talked about earlier, the meditative piece, the, the body movement, and all the different, like you said, buffet of things that can be done and people can incorporate. And practitioners listening to the show will know this, but for the layperson, I can't tell you how the, the the benefit of being a part of a group and what just begins to emerge in those groups that are safe and have confidentiality. And it's, you know, kind of what goes on in the group stays in the group. And I know that yes. that's what you guys focus really uh, intently on. And just the things that can emerge in our own growth from having ourselves be a part of 
a larger group of people. And it's just really tremendous. I, I do, I run a couple of groups ongoing right now. And I can't tell you the growth that people make. Individual therapy is good, a couple of therapies good, all good. But yeah. growth made in a group is really quite unique. And as you're talking about this, I, I wonder before we close, and I mentioned this at the very beginning of our talk, can you take us through maybe like a minute 30, just before we wind down for today, maybe two minute max, kind of a demonstration or maybe just something to kind of give us a, something we could practice as we walk away from the show today? Okay. Sure. That sounds great. I will through. do a, a mini nutshell. Um, All right. So what we could do is even right where you are is settle the sitting bones into the chair. So we could do a mini sample of movement and a little bit of a body scan. So okay, Peter, I'm going to do mine. You do yours and we'll be, we'll be good. Peter's our <laughs> director here. So we're going to, we're going to follow you. Go ahead, Laurie. Wonderful. Thank you. And just feeling where and how your feet meet with the floor and, you know, settling in is there a opportunity to find maybe 10 percent more ease or comfort maybe it's rolling the shoulders up back and down and if you like stretching your arms down out and up to whatever height feels right right now and lifting through your spine lifting through your fingers even feeling the feet meet the floor maybe feeling the active support of the legs and when you're ready to lower the arms down so taking your time you might use your exhale to lower the arms down and once your arms lower all the way down you can either rest them by the sides of your body or your hips or you could rest your hands on your thighs but just noticing any any sensations from what you've just done and Maybe pausing for a moment to feel any response within your body. Maybe there's heat. Maybe there's a tingling. Maybe there's no sensation whatsoever. It's all welcome. And from here, I'm guessing we have about a minute. So this is going to be a really brief body scan. But whether your eyes are open or closed, Maybe just feeling where your feet do meet with the floor. And if it's available, feeling the toes of both the left and right foot, maybe the spaces between the toes. And I'll say there's no wrong way to do the body scan. Just being aware of the toes and maybe the feet, the right and left foot. Just taking your time here. Noticing what's available. Maybe there's temperature or coolness. Maybe there's a contact known or felt. And then with your awareness moving up through the heels and the ankles, both the left and right leg and on up into the lower legs, both the front and the back. Any sensation here? and through to the knees and then the upper legs and into the hip joints. So now noticing the entire right leg and left leg, what is to be known here? Maybe with an exhale, just releasing the legs into the support that exists for them shifting your awareness to the base of the torso 
and moving from the base of the torso to the middle and to the upper torso. The organs that make breathing and knowing possible. On down to the arms, so both the right and the left arm. Anything to be known or felt there. And even moving from that seat on up through the spine and the neck and into the head. So right here, just noticing the front and the back of the head, the sides of the head and all of these sense organs. And one more time, expanding your awareness to include the head, the torso, the arms and the legs. And if it feels a fit to appreciate this entire body, perhaps holding you upright. And with an exhale, just letting your awareness settle in here. And with that appreciation, might even congratulate yourself for this mini practice. Really good. <laughs> really good. To this body. That was the quickest body scan I've ever. <laughs> I think that's really good. I think Peter might have gone to sleep right there. Peter, still okay. there? All right. Don't don't uh, log off the show yet. <laughs> no, it's really good. I, I think what you're giving us there is kind of a glimpse into just how we get to stop and pause for a moment, just to kind of turn within. And how sometimes we're going so busily that we don't notice the things that we might feel. I had to adjust a little bit now that you brought attention to something. I had some tension in an area and yeah. I got to shift just a little bit. Like the lady who was doing her dishes and she recognized the pain given the way that she was standing. So I like the idea of just stopping. So I appreciate you walking through that. Hey, I know we're kind of turning the corner on our time here today, but if you would, as we close, Laurie, give us some resources so folks can learn more about MBSR. Sure. Yes. Brown University, you mentioned Center for Mindfulness and then my website, it's new, it's evolving, but mymbsr.com. So it's mymbsr.com. Really good. The experiences and the classes, just we continue to generate knowledge. This group of folks who I'm moving through and into teaching MBSR right now are pretty amazing. So I may um, send some links for the, the MB. CP, the mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting. I really I, like that. Yeah. It, all that we've just spoken about, imagine that gift to parents and, and uh, children that are yet to be born or on their way. <laughs> hey, Lori, just before we wind down, in terms of those listening in and might listen in relatively soon here, when's the next course coming up? Oh, thank you for asking. It's January 6th is our next course. We just completed one. So we're already welcoming participants and, and getting it set to start. Yeah, it's an evening class for most folks in the U.S. It's kind of an afternoon class for those of us on an island. <laughs> so Lori, those that would be interested, can they go to the resource that you gave us, mymymbsr.com to find out more about that? Exactly. Yes. Wonderful. Guys, if you're interested in that class, it's www.mymymbsr.com. And uh, the class will be listed there and you can get in touch with Lori and talk about signing up. 
Yeah. Well, Lori, hey, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing this practice that you're doing and its application in a number of ways, and also the benefits that are gained from it. It's been great to have you on the show and great to be with you. Thank you. My honor. It's been wonderful to chat with you, and I really appreciate your time and sharing this. Great to have you here. Hey, I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Lori and me today. I always appreciate you being with us. And I want to remind you that this episode and its resources that Lori has for us and all our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So go check out our webpage. It's a great place. A lot of resources. Triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archives of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we will look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.